Well, you're about to hear my best sermon ever. Ever. Because we have a guest speaker. So I, since I have known Jeff since I actually started ministry. Um, I got to meet him and was very impressed with the work he does and has, continues to do. Um, like he said, he uh, teaches, he's a professor at two colleges. Um, he's been on a TV show. What's that TV show called? Zola something? Uh, Zola Levitt Presents. Um, after Zola passed away, he actually hosted it for a while, and he still does uh, work with it, and it's been a real blessing uh, with the years that he's done with that. And he uh, is also, he has a title of doctor, but you also have a title of commander, if I'm correct. He is actually a uh, commander in the police force. Um, and and uh, he's actually going to be working with our security staff afterwards to uh, teach us some different uh, techniques and go over some things. This will be a great opportunity. And I'm going to let him share the rest because he's got a great ministry and the work that he and uh, Barry are doing together. And I know you're going to be blessed. He was one of the um, main overseers on the T Tree of Life Bible. Um, and it was done by, had over, if I'm correct, over 70 different um, scholars working together to vet the Bible. So it's a great opportunity. He worked with that. Um, and many of you all already have the Tree of Life Bible. If not, we'll be having them uh, afterwards. You can get them for sale. It's a great translation um, that really gives you a good understanding and your biblical roots. So without any further ado, he gives his lovely new wife of 41 months. <laughs> he was married before to a lovely woman as well, and uh, she passed away three years ago. More than that. Yeah. So a number of years ago from ovarian cancer, and God brought these two who were, you were friends beforehand. You yes. were, uh -huh. um, brought them together, and they are a real blessing. They do a great work. We continue to work with Barry on doing the blankets and this, all those stuffed animals that y'all brought. Barry is going to be the one who will be passing them out with her team in Israel. The last number I heard we collected was over 125 stuffed animals, and he had more coming in. So great job. Thank you all. And I know those kids in Israel are going to be blessed. Amen. Rabbi, bless you, brother. You too, brother. Amen. Give him a round. Shabbat shalom. It really is a thrill, thrill, super duper thrill to be with you. Uh, this morning. I, I don't have a canned spiel to give you. Um, I, uh, I'm going to ask you to uh, open up uh, the scripture, please, to the book Vayikra, a.k.a. Leviticus, the 10th chapter. And I'm going to treat this as a crime scene because death took place here. And I've had opportunity to serve as a detective, um, among other things, in police culture and go into crime scenes where you slow everything down. There's a theory in criminal justice. If you look at a crime scene, whoever did that brought evidence to the crime scene 
and they also took evidence from it. The name of the game is to examine it forensically and see what you can learn because the task at hand then, based on the evidence, to see if you can have probable cause, which is the doctrine, to make an arrest. That is specific and articulable facts that would lead a reasonable person to believe that a particular crime has been committed and the particular person is responsible for it. And you have to prove it beyond reasonable doubt. So you need to get your arms around the information. I see some people dying here. And that just tweaks the interest of this eccentric old police officer. And so I want to examine this forensically. I want to note at the outset, as Rabbi had noted, uh, I've had two careers concurrent, principally serving as a Bible college and seminary professor, um, and then to a lesser extent, a shorter time, part-time, full-time and part-time in, in police culture. But in the context of the ministry that I've had opportunity to work, uh, I was pleased to see. By the way, I was just happy to be here this morning. Did you feel happy too? This is kind of like a happy place. You know, Otis was sweating bullets, but he was happy, you know, and the <laughs> brothers holding up the Torah scrolls and ministering, and, and Donna, she just hung the moon when she unpacked uh, some of the readings for today, and then with, with, with people dancing and everything. It, it's just nice to, to be around happy. We live in a world today where happy is in very high demand and very short supply, and I was happy to be here. I was happy to see, by the way, that the Tree of Life version was commended on the screen with the readings. And if you're interested, as would note it, I served as the project manager for that and had to coordinate dozens and dozens and dozens of scholars. And uh, we have uh, Joey Greenberg uh, here and Alex Cook. Uh, Joey is the, uh, uh, the son of Donya Greenberg, the founder of the Tree of Life Bible Society, and Alex is the son-in-law and for those that want to acquire a translation, it's a great gift, it's a good price, and it just supports a Bible society. No one's getting rich off of anything, really isn't, but it's just great to participate in that. I'm, I'm reading from the Tree of Life version, and like I said, what I want to do is look at this forensically. Before I get to the Tree of Life version, uh, on the assumption that you have Leviticus chapter 10 up in front of you, I'm interested in verse 6b, the, the second part of the verse. I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you in Hebrew. Ve'achekem. Achi is, is brother. Or ve'achekem and your kinsmen. Kol Beit Yisrael and all the house of Israel. Yivku et hash refah. Shall mourn over the burning. Asher saraf adonoi. That was kindled by the Lord. It says in the literature, the whole, let your kinsmen and the whole house of Israel mourn over this death. There's a mot after the death, subsequent to it. B'nai Israel, the congregation, is supposed to just do a time out and kind of get emotionally involved. And I think, by the way, 
uh, Donna, of course, she's Donna Raposa, forgive me if I'm not pronouncing the last name correctly. Um, that she's working with a lot of text to unpack it. But I think there was some feeling in there as she's wrestling with the fact we're looking at murders in the, or we're looking at death in the Bible, and, and God is the one who's beating out capital punishment. It's just rather queer in the sense that uh, it's not what we expect. It's surprising in the case when the, uh, um, the, the Ark of the Covenant was being transported, a priest, it's on the back of a cart, and it's starting to topple and fall off the cart, and then a priest reaches out his hand to stop it from falling, and then is summarily executed by God. How dare you? You would think he would get a, an award for stopping it from falling off. But he was responsible for letting it be transported in the way that exposed it to that insult. That is, it was supposed to be carried. And you're putting it on the back of a cart. You know, it's wobbly, it's bouncing around. It's not meritous that he stopped it from falling. It's problematic that he put it in a position where it could have fallen and broken. There's a kind of disrespect there. Sometimes prima, prima facie, face value, things look troublesome. And I glory in the death of no one. On uh, the 28th of this month, that was Thursday, uh, there was a, a fellow slated, a number of people were slated for execution in Texas um, for a murder of a police officer. I took it a little seriously and personally. I remember when I went to that officer's funeral many years ago. The guy who sat right next to me in the police academy was the one who responded to the scene right afterward. He could have been killed too. When I think of deaths, uh, last night, I didn't tell my wife this, but a police officer was shot in North Texas. The whole North Texas police community is up in arms over it. In any case, we're looking here at death and, and, and uh, uh, the, the, the congregation here is invited to, to look at this emotionally, not just intellectually. I want to look at it forensically to explore what it was that happened. As, as Donna noted in the text, that uh, in the first numbers of chapters in the book of Ayakra in Leviticus, uh, B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, have left Eretz Mitzrayim, they've, they've, they've left Egypt. And they're there at Har Sinai, at the base of Sinai. The book Leviticus is being given at the time when they're down there. And the Beit HaMikdash, the, well, the, the Mishkan, this portable worship facility, is erected. And soon as they finish it, soon as they dedicate it, I mean, the, the proverbial, the paint's not even dry on the building yet when they're, you know, just right there with the grand opening of, of the restaurant. Right? The grand opening. You know, come and worship a gracious God, kapum, slain in the spirit. What is this, and why is this? And not only what is it, I want to look at it forensically. I want to examine this thing deeply. Kind of like an eagle flies up there, and it, it has more pixels uh, that, that enables it. There's a kind of visual acuity where it can look deeply in the grass and find the gopher, even as it's flying 100, 200 feet up there. It can see deeply through the grass. I want to look through the grass 
and I want to know what happened. And I don't think it's just nosy, curious old me, because we're invited to take a look at the book and experience the moment. Starts off in verse 1. Well, and Aaron's sons uh, were told, I'll look from the TLV and I'll pivot to the Hebrew a little bit. Aaron's sons, it, he, the text names them, took his own, each took his own censer. Now his sons are the, the priests. You know, my name is Jeffrey Seif. That's German Jewish. My, my Hebrew name is Yosef Levi from that family, Levite. Well, these were Levites descended from Aaron. We're told Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, each took his own censer, put fire in it, laid incense over it, and authored unauthorized fire before Adonai, which he had not commanded them. We're told Vayak Rivu that they offered Lifnei Adonai before the face of God, Esh. Zorah, Aish is fire. Zorah, unauthorized, not, not according to plan. Asher lo otam. They did this and were told. In verse 2 then, in the aftermath, and they died uh, before the presence of the Lord. In verse 2 we're told, and I, and I look at it suspiciously, because we're told fire came out from the presence of Adonai and consumed them. Now the reason why I look at that a little bit suspiciously is because if you look in verse 5, when others come to attend to the body, we're told in verse 5, they drew near and carried them still in their tunics. On the assumption priests are wearing linen garments when they go in there, if, if they were wholly consumed by a fire, I'm wondering why the linen garments weren't burnt. But I know this, by the way, from serving as a fireman, and I've done that before too, that you can hear of individuals that die in a fire, but it's the smoke that gets you before the burn does. The point here is they mix something that proves to be toxic and it flares and it kills them. You with me on that? They were taken out. There, there, there's an admixture of, of, of chemicals. Now, I know this, by the way, because I mean, you wouldn't necessarily know it. You, let's say you're driving behind a semi. There's different placards in the back of that semi. And if, if, if you drive uh, dangerous chemicals, uh, you learn about all that, and if you're in law enforcement, or if you're in, uh, uh, on the fire service, or if you're in first responder services, you know about those placards, because it tells you the different ingredients that are being transported. You might want to know that. I've, I make, uh, at the police academy, if I'm teaching a course on hazardous materials, and I've done that, I make these cadets watch videos, because you know police have dashboard mounted videos, of cops going into these accidents and dying on camera because of the fumes, because of the toxic mix from the spill. You with me on that? 
And, and, and the reason why I want them to see it is because I want them to remember it. You know, they say that a wise man learns from his mistake. Well, wiser people learn from other people's. Now, I'm mentioning that here because if I understand the literature literally, the community of Israel is invited to learn from this mistake, to experience it. And I want to know what it was. All I get here from the text, you know, for forensic purposes, all I can look at right here is in the text in verse 1 in chapter 10, uh, they took their own censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and offered unauthorized fire before Adonai, which he had not commanded them. Now, you have a censer. Now, individuals, most of us, don't, wouldn't necessarily come from high church traditions. If you look at church culture, there's what's called low church and high church. And it just speaks of the nature of the worship service and the employment of liturgy. If someone comes from a high church tradition, e.g., example gratis, for example, a, uh, an Episcopalian, uh, a Roman Catholic, a Greek Orthodox tradition, individuals go to a service where we're not just looking at brother so-and-so bringing the word, we're looking at a priest and they're working with the accoutrements of, you know, there's, there's censers and there's incense. But a lot of us wouldn't have any experience of that if we come from a Baptist church, a Bible church, a Methodist church, or a Jewish synagogue where that stuff's really not in play today, but yesterday it was. These were priests. Now, you're looking at something that's metal, and there's incense that's put on it, but incense is mixed with, 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 with something uh, that burns in order to ignite the incense. And it makes a sweet aroma. And elsewhere in biblical literature, we're told that the prayers of the saints are likened to incense before the Lord. You know, we're told in the text, uh, the literature employs an anthropomorphic ascription. Anthro is the Greek for man. Morphe is form. It says God smelled the offering. God hears our prayers. God sees them. I mean, does God have a big nose? He smells as his nose as big as mine. He, he, God has eyes. He hears their prayers. Does he have eardrums? And sound waves go in there, and the eardrums, some stuff vibrates in the ears. Well, it's called an anthropomorphism. That is to say that it's using human characteristics to describe God at work. You with me on that? And, and, and incense is likened to the prayers uh, of, of the congregation that go up and kind of get... It, it's a good feeling in as much as, um, you know, I've said, and hopefully you feel, that honestly, personally, it was just a happy experience being here. It just is. Not because I'm giving the speech. I got happy looking at you, not by the fact that you're looking at me. I got happy sitting there. I don't know if I'm happy... Up here, I'll have to ask my wife how my speech was. If she gives me a thumbs up, then I'm happy. The, uh, they offered this up. Now, the incense isn't a judge to be the problem. The problem is the fire. What could conceivably 
be problematic with the fire. It doesn't tell me here. It just tells me that it was here. But if you'll go with me, please, to Leviticus chapter 6, we'll learn about where the fire is supposed to come from. And when we look in Leviticus chapter 6, and I'm interested in verse 5 and 6, I want to give you a word, korban. Korban. That uh, it appears in the New Testament because Jesus jams up religious people. He jacks them up for, you know, you know, for, he mentions korban in conjunction with that. Korban is an offering. We call it, it's, it's a burnt up offering, totally consumed. You know, in the Hebrew Bible, there's burnt offerings. Someone asked me, I was newly married to Barry. They said, well, how's it like being married to Barry? I said, great, she treats me like a god. They said, how's that? I said, every night she brings me burnt offerings. It's a joke, it's a joke. It's a do she doesn't, she doesn't. I just, I just wanted to say that. I'm just kidding, just kidding. Just kidding, just kidding. Someone said, well, what does she like to make for dinner? I said, like all Jewish women, reservations. That's what she likes to make. That's what she likes to make, reservations, yes. But you have these burnt offerings. Uh, now, we're not used to that, by the way. We're, we're not used to religion slaying animals. Korban. There's, there's another word for this. We're going to look at that in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Bible. And in, if, if you read in the New Testament, where the New Testament authors quote the Old Testament, and you look back at the Old Testament, it doesn't quite read the way your Old Testament says it, if you've noticed that. And the reason for that is the New Testament authors are using the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Bible that was penned in the 3rd century B.C., whereas translations of the Old Testament will consult the Septuagint, but it primarily relies on the Masoretic text which is a Hebrew version of the text, not the Greek. But in the Greek, this burnt offering, interestingly, is called the holocaustos. It's where you get the word holocaust. It's referred to God's holocaust. When you look at literature um, about what went on in the temple, in the Beit HaMikdash, in, in Jesus' day, in Yeshua's day, Religious Jewish literature talks about the holocaust of the animals. It's a religious slaughter shop. It's thousands of animals. I like to say the temple was a great place for Jews. It was a lousy place for sheep. Lousy place for sheep. You didn't want to go there. When the priest comes, you just want, Mama said, go to the back of the stall. <laughs> Let that priest look at another animal. I'm telling you, kid, keep away from the guy in the white outfit. There. You don't like those people. If they look at you, it's nice. Here, little baba, bad. No, run. <laughs> Actually, what they did with the korban, they took the animal. They flayed it. They took the skin off of it. Uh, the priests were allowed to keep the skin. Actually, they would sell them. There was a whole uh, ancillary industry in Jerusalem, tanneries, uh, for skins. This was part of the remuneration for the priests, for services rendered. But the animal, the carcass was taken. It was wholly consumed on the altar. Wholly consumed. 
Now, if you look for instructions, we're told in the 10th chapter of Leviticus, we're told that the, uh, these boys, these pastor's kids, <laughs> offered an authorized fire. Here's the authorization. If you look in verse 5, the fire on the altar is to be kept burning on it. It must not go out. Each morning the Kohen or the priest is to burn wood on it, laying the burnt offering in order upon it, and burning up as smoke the fat of the fellowship offerings. Fire is to be kept burning on the altar continually. It must not go out. I don't know how many of you barbecue. You know, we're looking here at God's barbecue. Actually, in Hebrew, it's the Mizbeach. Let me hear you say Mizbeach. I don't know how many guys here, gals here, do outside barbecue stuff. Barry, God bless you, got me a cooker, a smoker. You know, big thing, way too expensive. But I can barbecue, smoke, and all that. You know, it's like you barbecue. You have the coals underneath it. And you put the, you put the, the beef on it. And, and the beef, it drips. And you know what it's like to clean out a barbecue pit? The wood uh, is to be kept coming. And the wood, for it to be authorized, is the wood that's drenched in the holocaust of the animals. You with me on that? It's uh, the fat, uh, the beef, whatever it is that just, you know, falls through the grating and goes down there and hits the embers. Those things that are to be kept going perpetually. That's the stuff that's supposed to be used to burn the incense. You with me on that? Now, the question that I put to the literature... Here, this is explicit. You know, my deduction is tacit. That is to say, when I put the question to the literature, it says they offered an authorized fire. It tells me here what the authorized fire was. I know they didn't do that. The question is, what did they do that proved toxic? You with me on that? Now, for me to answer that question, let me just kind of hark to normal living experience in modernity. You know, when I travel, you know, anymore, you know, I, you, you keep your computers, you keep your iPhones and all that, and you, want to, you know that the battery's going to go out. So you want to have some kind of power cord, we're traveling, because you want to hook this up to an energy source. We're concerned about an energy source where it can get zapped, where we can, we can get it. You know what I'm saying? My question is, if we're in the Mishkan, this portable worship facility, I get the fact that the uh, Mizbeach, the altar, is in effect an energy source, if you will, where there's wood that's placed, there's animals placed on top, the, the guts and everything is, is dropping down on it, and God says, I want the wood with the sacrifice. That's what I want to go up. Somehow that's important to him. Somehow that relates to something that happened in the New Testament, but I digress. 
But I digress. I know an animal, a sacrificial animal, that was sacrificed in the wood. And God looked down and said, now that's what I'm talking about. I know that. But all I know here is that you're supposed to use the wood, the ambers that are burning still from it, with the sacrifice stuff intermixed with it. And what happens is if you want incense that goes up that's pleasing to the Lord, it's the admixture of that. But that's not what those boys gave them. What did they give? The question is, what's another energy source? First thing that Barry and I do when we go into a hotel room, okay, where are the plugs? <laughs> where are we going to plug this in and that? And where, where, where's the energy? Well, where's the energy source in the Mishkan? What's generating heat? Well, if you look at the furniture outside, you heard Rabbi talk about there's the outer, outer court, there's the inner court, and then the Holy of Holies. Okay, if you go to the outer court, you have the Mizbeach, you have the altar. Okay, we're not working with that. We're not working with a fire that comes off of that. Okay, then there's the water basin afterwards, the laver. We're not working with that. That's water. That's the fire department. That's not, we're not, we're not getting fire out of that. Okay, so then the boys, the priests, if you go into the holy place, you know, that... Is, is there a source in there? Well, there's the, the table of showbread. It's just bread stacked up. There. It's not an oven. It's not baked there. It's placed there. We'll put that out. Okay. There's um, an incense. Well, that's what they're using. The only other piece of furniture that's left is the candelabra, the menorah. Because the candelabra was manufactured a certain way. Here, this is manufactured with candles. The candelabra has oil. You with me on that? And it's particular the way it's burned. It's like a tree, and the oil is the sap in it. And speaking of tree, if you... You know... I work with the translation of the Bible, Etz Chaim, the tree of life, okay? And, and, and it's very popularized in, in, in the Jewish liturgical world, famous song, Etz Chaim, a tree of life. The scripture itself is likened to a tree of life, and thus it, it doesn't surprise me in the least to find the tree of life, a tree. Actually, if you look at the, the way the tabernacle was built, remember Adam and Cheva are placed in Gan Eden, in Eden. We call it paradise. Paradise comes from a Latin word meaning enclosed garden. They're told not to eat of a tree. They do it. Lust comes from a Latin word meaning desire for the forbidden. Once you tell them, don't do that, it invokes some kind of curiosity. I hmm, wonder what that is. And before you know it, the mind starts spinning. They're in a garden. There's trees everywhere. But no, they've got to get that. They pluck from the tree. God's not a happy camper. And Zygazunt, uh, go. And you get to, uh, the th you haven't read five minutes into the Bible till they took something from the tree. If you look at the candelabra in the tabernacle, the Mishkan, the one in Leviticus, there was only one of these candelabras, not with candles, with the wax and the wick being the source, but oil. 
in Solomon's temple, you find this in 1 Kings, there were 10. It's actually, it's a forest of these trees. And actually, in the Jewish world, the tree of life, Etzchayim, that uh, uh, the, uh, you know, in the Hebrew Bible, they, they, they were, there were two trees in there, and you, you, you plucked the tree from one you weren't supposed to have. This right here is a symbol of the tree. It, 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 it's manufactured. Uh, it's an accoutrement. These priests, what do we have here? The only source in proximity to them where there's energy for a fire is from this right here. And I'd imagine it's more convenient too. They're already in the holy place. They're already there. Okay, you got to mix the incense with the fire. And okay, we'll just grab some of this, whatever. You know, maybe mix it with the incense. You know, it'll burn. Ain't no big deal. As far as fire. But interestingly and tragically, it proves to be toxic. You with me on this? Now listen, it's not my purpose to preach all day. There's an old saying, I love a finished speaker. I really, truly do. I don't mean one who's polished. I just mean one who's through. <laughs> Enough already, Jeffrey. You're not the only act in town. Most preachers give three-point sermons. I'm just giving you one. It's not that I don't think that you're smart enough to handle three, but one point. What's the problem here? The problem here is that the offering that God wants has to come from sacrifice, from the Mizbeach, from the altar, from sacrifice. It comes from that. That's what he's looking for. And truth be known, in that sense, he's a lot like us. In this sense. You know, remember one time, Pennsylvania is where I was born and raised. It's wintertime. I come in and my mom, she's there in the foyer. There's a full-length mirror. I'm 14 years old. I come in and She's got this full-length mink coat on. She's just kind of, and I walk through the door, and I see her just kind of checking herself out in the mirror, you know. And she looked at me. She says, well, Jeffrey, what do you think of the coat? I'm 14 years old. You know, I say, Mom, can you imagine all the pain and suffering that a poor animal had to go through just so you can get that coat? And she looked at me and said, now, Jeffrey, that's no way to talk about your father. <laughs> now, Jeffrey, I like, you know, I like putting gold and diamonds and sapphire and pearls on Barry K. Seif. I got nothing better to do with my money than hook her up with bling. <laughs> now, what is that? 
you know, look at a diamond. And I think people are sensitive to this. You look, oh, that's a big diamond, and how much did that cost? Let's say if a guy gets his gal a ring, let's say it cost $1,000, okay? And let's say he makes $20 an hour. If you take taxes out, well, even just, if you just do it straight gross, that's 50 hours. If you want to add tax, let's say by the time he puts $1,000 down, that's 60 hours. That's a week and a half of work for that man. Correct? And then if he borrows the money, that is to say he puts it on a credit card and makes payments, then it's more expensive than that. But let's say if you look at, let's say here's this ring. It's a diamond. That's not a diamond. That's 60 hours of a man's life on her ring. That is to say, there's no utility out of that. It's not like a car to help Barry to get from point A to point B. It's not an investment like that. But it's an indicator of someone saying, I find value in you. And that gift, whatever the amount is, whatever it is, it's just a man's time that has been monetized into money and that was used to acquire something. You with me on that? And what happens is it's, it's a way of telegraphing to someone that I value. I find value in you. And as evidence thereof, here is my sacrifice. You understand? Uh, I'm sacrificing. It's a way, whatever it is, whatever it is, it's a sacrifice. The truth of the matter is all relationships... Um, need to see sacrifice. You know, you, you know Sister Aretha? That sister was not happy because she wasn't getting respect. She was, that, that sister was getting no respect. Some man cannot come home and say, I love you, baby. No, if you're not bringing the money home to her, don't say you love me. Especially if you're spending some of that on the way. You stopped off with your mistress on the side and in the bar, and you want to give me what's left over. No, baby, that dog don't hunt. That's not what we signed up for here. And that's not the way we roll. People know. People know if it's coming from a sacrifice. And let me tell you something here as I close. And there's nothing worse than a preacher who says, and I close, and doesn't close. <laughs> nothing worse. My wife and I, among other things, are engaged in sacrificing. That uh, we, we, we don't get a dime out of it. And some of you are helping us. You, we're, we're going to Israel with your offering quilts, other things to give to underprivileged in Israel. It's all about, it's the job of a priest to move sacrifice 
it's on behalf of you to the Lord, to them. Jesus, Yeshua said, as you do it to one of the least of these, you do it unto me. Friends, listen, we all live and move on sacrifice. This is, I don't care if we dress it up with all the Jewish paraphernalia, this is a martyr's religion. There might not be a cross up here, but you know what? At the end of the day, it's in here. You understand? At the end of the day, we're all here because someone sacrificed. I asked someone, my closing illustration is this. I, I asked them, I said, uh, I did it with the academy. I, I said, what are you looking at here? And, and they said, oh, that's your wife. And I said, no, that's not my wife. That's a picture of my wife. That's my wife. It's a picture of. When we look here at the Hebrew Bible, we're seeing a picture of something. It's, it's the essence of life. It's the essential sacrifice. You get nowhere in life if you don't sacrifice. Someone said, you're a professor, you're a doctor. Yeah, that's right. How did you get there? I, I, I sacrificed. While other people were partying and having fun, I was doing homework. Year after year after year. Nobody gave it to me. You know, you get an advanced degree, a master's degree, a doctor's degree. You don't say, well, here's where I got my degree. You say, I took it from Mercer. They're not giving them away free. <laughs> okay? <laughs> but my wife and I are both college professors. They're not handing them out. It's not free candy. It ain't Halloween. If you want it, you reach for it. We had a graduation at the police academy. New cadets rolled in on Thursday. No one gave it to them. They reached for it. They ran for it. Everything's, you know, everything is sacrifice. Goals, commitments, relationships. We see a picture here of something that was obscured by lazy priests. Lazy pastor's kids, brats, whatever. They were given specific instructions, but they didn't want to walk out there to the altar. Maybe it's too hot. Maybe it's smelly, because, you know, you know, there's a certain smell that a barbecue gives off. Maybe they're kind of in a good mood, and they just kind of didn't want to get it on their clothes. You know, they're going to go out with a girlfriend afterward. They don't want to have to shower up. Get around a little nasty, you know, altar with those embers and what have you, and reach in there with some prongs and get, nah, listen, you know. You know, there's something else. Look, that's burning. Get some oil here. Get the sensor pan. No one's looking. Hey, come on. It's just me and you here. Come on. We'll just spill some of this oil. Mix it with the incense. Here you go, God. Here it is. Who's going to know the difference? He does because it doesn't come from the sacrifice. It doesn't come from the altar. And inasmuch... God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And he said, no one took my life from me. I gave it up of my own accord. And he gave it up. And the literature is very clear. In fact, when the police went to jack him up, remember in the garden, you look in the 18th chapter of the Joanine Gospel, the police come to seize him, and they fall back. A little force field around him. Now, I've had to do that before, do a little seizure thing. I've never run into anybody and fallen back on a force field, baby. I've never seen that happen once. Never happened once. And I'm an old guy. I'm 63. I've been doing this for a while. I've taken more than one person to jail. In fact, one time, this guy was being so stupid, I took out my, my, my license. 
And I showed it to him. He says, what are you showing me this for? I says, when was I born? He looked, he says, 1955. Why are you asking me? I said, because I want you to know I wasn't born yesterday. That's why. <laughs> but not my first time, not my first day on the job. There you go, boys. Police come to arrest Jesus. They all fall back. Point is, is that the only reason why he died is because he gave himself to it. I hope, as a result of our little time together, I come here, I want to thank you on behalf of my wife, her ministry principally. I follow her lead on Sar Shalom Israel. Individuals have sacrificed. Uh, we, with making blankets and other things to, to, to take back and, and give to orphans and, and women, people that are having in trouble in Israel. And it's beautiful stuff, it's excellent stuff, and we're going to give them in the Lord's name. I want to thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for sacrificing for us. Thank you for sacrificing for this ministry to be viable. If you're listening to me on the internet or you're visiting here, you're looking for a good place to worship. I think you'd be happy here. I sure know I was. Thank you so much for receiving my wife and I. God bless you, Rabbi.